Hello and welcome to the ASB Investment Podcast, a show that keeps you up to date on the markets and helps you make smart choices with your investments. These are entirely our own views and that of our guests. It's not investment advice, but we know plenty of experts at ASB that will be happy to chat if you need. I'm Christian Brown, your regular podcast host. Today we're going to do something different. I'm going to hand over the hosting to my friend and colleague, Nigel Grant, who has worked in several roles within the ASB wealth business, and most importantly, is passionate about investments. I'm going to put my economist hat back on and help answer a few questions about markets, and uh, joining us is ASB wealth manager, Sean Lewington. He's here for today's podcast. So with that introduction, I'm going to hand over to you, Nigel. Thanks, CTV. Um Oh, it's, it genuinely is awesome to be in this seat. Um, I remember when we conceived of these podcast ideas, you know, a couple of years ago, maybe it was a couple of years ago, a year ago, a couple of years ago, and to now be on it, you know, it's come full circle. So I'm stoked to be in this seat and um, just, yeah, a bit more background to me, just love investments. Um, we were joking before in terms of how many screens I've got going on at one point, um, watching different things happening, you know, from a day-to-day perspective, but to be able to talk, you know, to you guys and then obviously talk to customers or customers indirectly on what's going on. Yeah, to provide a bit more guidance and advice is something that I'm really, really, really passionate about. So obviously we'll switch hats. So CTB, what have you been up to lately? Um, you know, anything you want to tell our avid listenership about? I understand you were, you know, flying over Auckland as part of the Anzac Day commemorations? Yeah, I was. And uh, regular uh, podcast listeners will have heard me telling the old plane story. And I was, uh, well, I'm lucky enough to be part of Warbirds out at Ardmore. And uh, flew in a uh, in a Harvard and amongst the formation, trying to get over as many RSAs as possible over the Anzac weekend to show our respect. So that was a uh, that was a, a real pleasure over the past month or so. Uh, apart from that, I have been flat out trying to deal with all the uh, all the changes that have been taking place in the investment world. And, and you know, one one big thing is uh, is the interest rate space has been an issue, and I do a lot of writing about interest rates. So there's been plenty to keep me busy over the over the past month or so. I hope you weren't writing about interest rates as you were flying, but <laughs> no, I keep them separate. Keep them separate. But uh, the the interest rate commentary after the RBNZ uh, interest rate adjustment yesterday will keep me out of the air for a day or two, I suspect. And Sean, or uh, I mean, probably will address you as Louis for the rest of the podcast, but um, it's your second time on the podcast, but first time in a while. So when was your first appearance? It, my first appearance was Feb 2020, just before the world went crazy. So yeah, in the booth. Uh, so yeah, it's been a while, but it's great to be back. Great to be back. And just tell us, I mean, for, for those that can't remember back to February 2020, just tell us a bit more <laughs> about yourself and your role with ASB. Yeah, a bit about myself, emigrated to New Zealand 16 years ago. Now with a family, three children, all studying at uni and college. Uh, I joined ASB 15 years ago, next month. So it's my anniversary next month. Um, very much my role with ASB, got a privileged role. I'm a wealth lead. Uh, role, role involves supporting customers through the wealth journey. Uh, and I look after a team of wealth managers, developing them through their wealth career with a purpose of accelerating financial progress of New Zealand. Get to meet some interesting people, as well as yourself and CTB, very interesting people. I get to understand the clients, uh, what they're looking for, looking to achieve, give them financial planning advice to help them achieve their goals. So it's a great job. Really enjoy it. And you don't fly over Auckland by chance? Is there any other sort of... Um you know, hobbies or, you know, TV shows or books or anything you're up to is a bit of an insight into yeah, who you like, are outside of wealth management? A little bit of insight. Um, I do like things on streaming. I'm not, I can't remember the last time I watched TV. 
Um, last two films I watched was Inside Man, Denzel Washington. It's quite an oh, old great movie. Film. It's, it's great a great film. one. Yeah, great crime thriller. Really like that one. Watch that again. And Sixth Sense, actually, Bruce Willis in 1999. Best ending to a film I've ever seen. So if anybody's not watched that film, it's a great film and a great ending. So uh, <laughs> love that. So that's a little bit about me. Hey, well, I'll, I'll have to add in there. If, uh, you, I saw Top Gun last night, so uh, that's uh, that's that's one for you if you want to uh, travel back even further in time and remember uh, some of the stuff we did in the 1980s. It's all there again, and and uh, and Top Gun Maverick had quite a quite a hoot. I'm surprised they didn't ask you to be in it, CTV. <laughs> I put in my application, but they uh, they just wanted someone that was better looking than me, and they obviously got Tom instead. Oh, right, well, let's um enough about us. Let's get straight into it in terms of. Like what on earth is going on at the moment? These, these, like, I've been watching, I've been watching markets since I was eighteen. Um, so what's that? Twenty years ago now. Like, you know, these are some of the most interesting and and volatile markets that I've seen in all my time of watching graphs go up and down. You know, again, what is going on at the moment? CTB. You know, I saw the other day. This is the first time since the late seventies that both major bond and equity markets are you know, are down. You know, probably now more than this, but down over ten percent. You know, what's driving this largely? Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's it's unusual. We usually think that when share markets go down, uh, bond markets will hold up or even improve in in, in value. Um, it's it's unusual, but not that unusual for them to have times where both are down. But certainly, you have to go back a long way, like you've mentioned, to see drops in both markets of this magnitude. And the key thing that's happening now is it's interest rate increases that are, that are happening all around the world that are driving and rattling um, concerns in equity markets as, as central banks move away from those ultra-supportive policy settings that we had during the pandemic and try and get interest rates uh, back to more normal levels. And uh, that process is happening very, very quickly. Um, it's bonds move in the opposite direction to uh, interest rates and yields. So we've seen these falls in bond markets and equity markets really pull back. You know, 10 to 20% when it comes to uh, most equity markets, close to 30% if we're looking at the NASDAQ, that big tech and heavy index in the, in the state. So on top of those interest rate adjustments, and uh, there's a reason for that is the inflation we're seeing around the world. That's ultimately why central banks are raising rates so quickly. So inflation, interest rate adjustments are both rattling equity markets. And then on top of that, we've got the war in Ukraine. So we've got geopolitical concerns as well that are all, all stacking up to make this wall of worry that we talk about that drives markets down from time to time. The word for last year, I think, or one of the key words was it's transitory, right? Like it's it's going to subside. It's all supply chain driven. This is going to pull back. You know, I heard a joke the other day about, you know, the Federal Reserve now has a, you know, it's like a swear jar for any time they mention the word transitory in the States. Like, it's just not going away now. It's sticky. You know, why is, what's driving that primarily, mate? Yeah, so inflation uh, in the in the first instance, uh, for over a decade, the problem for central banks is, is inflation on the whole has been too low. Domestic inflation pressures, things that we don't trade with overseas countries, like our rates, the cost of labour, um, that's usually been fairly normal. But we've always been able to import lower prices. So we've had inflation running around between 0 and 1% for many years over the past decade. 
And then when COVID hit and supply chains got interrupted, we suddenly started getting these higher prices as, as there was a lot of demand for goods as economies recovered from COVID, but supply was interrupted. And so this transitory idea when we were talking about inflation came out of the idea of once global supply chains return to normal and, and, and labour markets return to normal, people start travelling, we start shipping goods around much smoother. This inflation will go away again. And that just hasn't happened. There's been uh, things which now look more permanent, which I guess is the opposite to transitory. Labour markets have got incredibly tight. Normally when you have a recession, you'd expect labour markets to have a lot of capacity because a lot of people lose their jobs. The opposite's happened during the pandemic, both here and abroad. The unemployment rate here is lower now than what it was before the pandemic. So no matter which way you look, there's signs that this inflation pressure is going to be around for a while longer. You know, here it's got up to 7%. In other countries, it's even harder. And we're thinking it's going to be north of the RBNZ's 2% area that they'd like it to average for quite a few years. So a really big contrast to a few years ago, as some of these factors appear to be way more permanent than, than what uh, economists and, uh, and policymakers were thinking as, as recently as uh, 6 to 12 months ago. You raise a good point. Like, you know, did policymakers probably more sent, you know, um, monetary policy in this sense, did they make a mistake? I know the RBNZ tightened a lot bef- uh, earlier than sort of, you know, the Fed as such, but, you know, did they get it wrong? Yeah, I, I think in, in hindsight, you can always look back and, and say, should have, they, should have central banks eased by as much as they did? Um, and, and, and likewise, once the economy started to recover, when should have they started tightening? Now, if we look at classical models of what central banks could do based on unemployment rates, growth and all that sort of stuff, you would say that central banks should have started tightening uh, perhaps in late uh, 2020 when, when economies were really holding up a lot better than what we thought back at the start of the pandemic. But if we look at the RBNZ, who, who started raising interest rates late last year, they looked at the time like a real outlier to be hiking rates when other central banks, including the Reserve Bank of Australia, were going, no, no, that's uh, many years down the track. And, and now they look like quite a leader. They went 50 basis points uh, in their rate hike at this month's meeting and the same in the meeting prior. And they're not alone. When we look in the Fed minutes, for example, for the US, they're looking like they're going to be going in 50 basis point hikes. So um, if the, uh, the Reserve Bank, I think, is on the right track, and in some ways, um, in hindsight, I think many central banks would wish they'd started tightening earlier so they didn't have as much work to do now and inflation didn't get as strong as what it is right now. So, but these things are always really easy to tell in hindsight, right? When you're in the middle of a pandemic, um, everyone always appreciates the central bank and the government doing all they can to support an economy. So, um, but I think your, your point's a valid one. What we'll, we'll probably look back on and think that they should have all gone earlier in terms of tightening rates. Yeah, it's funny, you mean, like, hindsight's a wonderful thing, obviously, and, you know, a few commentators that I follow, you know, it's, it's always easier now, but, you know, they say this is, you know, regarding the markets overall, you know, this is one of the most predictable corrections, and as you say with the NASDAQ, you know, bear markets and history, like, we, we should have all seen this coming along. I guess for, to you first, then, Louis, if you've got any other sort of follow-up points, do you agree that this was one of the most predictable in history or not? 
Maybe I start there and, and say, hey, economists are, for, are always criticised for forecasting 10 of the last two recessions that we've ever had. I always think there'll be someone that said, oh, this was predictable, we should have seen it. Uh, but the reality is uh, we, we hardly ever um, can say this was, was predictable. No one would have predicted, for example, in March 26, uh, share markets hit their bottom. Uh, I don't think you would have met, found many people that were brave enough to say, well, we'll be setting record highs within a year, but indeed that's what we did. There was no one predicting that house prices would go up in what was our worst recession that we've uh, had since the Great Depression. I think it's one of those things that in hindsight, you could say, hey, look, there's a lot of stuff here that was, was going wrong. But, but there are always things in the background that can rattle markets. It's just whether they mount up to enough to cause a correction like now. So I, I don't think it was predictable and I never think uh, corrections are predictable. They just happen. Uh, the, the predictable thing to me is that the, uh, the, the, well, that the sun comes up every day uh, and that in two or three years' time, um, this will be just one of the uh, one of the blips or events in share markets that investors have had to had to deal with. They just they just come along um, every few years, but just when they're going to hit and for what reason? Um, I don't think it's ever uh, it's ever something you could say it's really predictable. Yeah, I, I I totally agree with CTB there, Nigel. I think when we had five year interest rate, you could fix your mortgage at an extremely low rate. Not too many people are going for a five year really low rate. Uh, now they'd probably snap your hand off for that. So mm. absolutely not. I don't think you, you can predict these things. Yeah, I think I, you know, I saw an interesting chart the other day saying, um, you know, regarding kind of drawdowns as they call it in the states, or you know, declines. Like the, you know, back to, you know, I think it was 1926. So the average annual drawdown, and obviously it's averaged, but you know, the average drawdown is about 13.6 percent. You know, so so every year you're expecting a pullback in markets it's just that it never feels the one you're in never feels natural and comfortable you know so i think it's just something that people you know need to get just i guess comfortable with this is this is the 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 price you pay for being in you know sort of growth or or assets over and above the risk-free rate and in terms of the parallels to the house market you know currently we're seeing you know, declines there in house price values, um, not to the same extent as necessarily equity markets are, but, you know, it's a lot harder for people to um, exit their house, right, liquidate their their portfolio of housing. And they're also not presented with a ticker price every minute on what your neighbours sold their house at or, um, you know, to sort of get into your mind the idea of, you know, oh gosh, house prices are going down or, or here's the minute by minute value of it. What is ASB's view on house price forecast CTB? Because that's probably a lot of what our clients obviously have that part of their portfolio along with anything in terms of, you know, other investments. Yeah, I think you make a couple of good points there. Um, imagine how terrifying it would be if every day you uh, were firstly um, had the opportunity to walk out to your letterbox and there was a piece of paper in there that told you how much your uh, house was worth. And secondly, there was a form asking if you wanted to sell it and uh, and buy it back later on. Um, it would be it would be terrifying, and of course, people would go, "Well, no, I'm not going to do that." And um, so we tend to stick with housing, which is the great thing. The illiquid nature of your own home forces you to stick with it uh, when when we have these down periods. Which um, I don't think we're out of line thinking. Well, house prices will be back by on an annual basis by 10% or, or or more. You know, if we if we saw a 10% decline in house prices, for example, um, it's still going to be a house that's very expensive. 
and uh, and really only going back to the levels that we saw um, in mid last year or early early last year. So um, these aren't dramatic declines that we're still talking about a very expensive housing market. Um, but there are a number of forces um, and, and a similarity to the share market uh, in terms of impacting the asset price and rattling investors is this backdrop of rising interest rates. So uh, you know, a mortgage rate has gone from, uh, you could have locked in a, a five-year mortgage at 2.99% and uh, and still be fixed at that rate. Uh, that same rate today is now uh, well over 6% and there's no such thing as a uh, as a mortgage under 3% anymore. In fact, getting one under 4% is, is now hard. So there have been big increases in um, in mortgage mortgage rates. Uh, and that just has an impact on the housing market. But the, the good thing with housing is the fact that if you've got a very strong labour market and people keep their jobs and banks have done the right thing and stress tested any new borrower at much higher rates than what we we're offering during the pandemic, they won't be forced sellers. But anyone that was, who bought a house, say, in uh, September last year and then had to sell it today would undoubtedly be, uh, be selling it into a softer housing market. And we think that softer housing market will continue over the, over the rest of the year. One of the things I think which is interesting is as, as we open borders up for our labour markets, that might mean that um, some people start coming back. But I also think it'll mean a lot of people will choose to, uh, to go overseas as well. That's what we've seen after other periods where migration has dropped away for various reasons. And, and that feeds into our house price view as well, that, uh, that demand um, and supply will, will match up much better than what they did over recent years. And, and hence, we've got that fairly soft outlook for house prices this year, but by no means a disaster for the housing market. And just around that point, sorry, CTV, when you say a softer view, is there a um, percentage you guys place on it or is it sort of just more a general comment? Uh, no, well, in terms of, uh, in terms of, in terms of numbers, um, well, in terms of what we mean when we say a softer housing market, longer days to sell, uh, less turnover, weaker prices when compared to at the very um, buoyant periods of the housing market late last year. So all those factors feed into that view. Yeah, and, and declines um, depends on when you measure it back to, uh, but certainly annual declines of coming up to, uh, to 10% um, uh, are uh, fairly plausible, I think. And if you're, if you're looking for any more commentary on the housing market specifically, I know that ASB, you know, CTB and his team put out a number of reports on that. And you can, just, you can fairly readily find them online just by Googling sort of the ASB um, economics reports as well. And they're available, you know, to anyone who wants to deep dive a little bit more into that topic. So, Louis, you're closest of the three of us to customers. We've given, we've sort of set the scene with the macro environment, what's going on. You're hearing questions that relate to those things, you know, you know, specific to portfolios, investments that customers hold. You've got a couple of things you're going to tell us in terms of the key things you're being asked by clients. Um, yep. And then we're going to enter into a bit of a discussion on those. So take it away in terms of, you know, the two or three things that you're hearing the most frequently when sitting down with clients or on the phone. Yeah, these are the themes that, that we're hearing myself and the, and the team. For the first time for a long time, over the last 10 years, we've seen conservative funds weak uh, and actually weaker than growth funds over the last 12 years. So clients are a little bit, unsure about why that's happening. That, that's probably the key one. Um, what changes have we been making to the portfolios? Uh, and why haven't we made bigger changes considering what's been going on, what Chris has been talk, talking about earlier? Also a common one, how much worse, worse can it get and when will it get better? So there's some of the key themes that we're seeing coming through for our day-to-day -day conversations. Not 
insignificant questions by any means. Where do you, where do you think we should start in terms of maybe the first one? Like why CTB do you want to lead off in terms of, you know, the typical conservative fund? Yeah. If you look at growth. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. And if you look at a, a table of returns um, for uh, something like KiwiSaver or, or, or any managed funds where you can see all the returns stacked up from uh, conservative through to growth, you'll see the conservative funds over an annual period typically down by a lot more than the, than the growth funds. And this, is, this really ties into that earlier point we made, but this is the first time in many decades where we've seen bond markets falling at the same time as share markets. And uh, so for a conservative fund, which could be holding um, 80% in, in bonds or fixed interest investments, the biggest part of the portfolio is, is down and uh, it's not getting any offset by shares. The, the, the shares are, are down too. Normally what we'd see is that when the share markets were down, that would be as far as we'd need to look. And the less shares a portfolio had, the, the better it was holding up. Um, but when bonds are going down, and in fact those rising interest rates that are driving the value of bonds down are all tied in together, the conservative funds are really getting a double whammy. And and we see that if you uh, if you look up our returns, to, and it's across the industry, uh, uh, something that we're grappling with. It's it's not that common. We have seen it from time to time, but not over a sustained period like a year like this. Sometimes this will happen on a quarterly basis, but uh, that the conservative funds will be weaker. But um, Certainly over the past year, that's the case. It's very hard to uh, understand. One of the important things to remember, though, is with this is that it's just a mark-to-market, as we say, and apologising for using a bit of jargon with those bonds, rather than defaults going in, in those uh, in, within those bonds within portfolios. It's still really, really good quality bonds that uh, you'll find within our portfolios of investment-grade bonds. Uh, they're just valued a lot lower in this rising interest rate environment, and it's particularly impacting the uh, the conservative funds that have a lot of bonds. To to labour that point a bit, the if you hold a bond through to maturity, the principal is repaid and the coupon pays. As you say, from a mark to market perspective, it's only if someone has a need to sell before the maturity date. Correct. That's right, and this is a really hard thing to understand. And ironically for portfolios, these rising interest rates in the long run are a good thing because for a long time, conservative investors haven't been able to access decent yielding term deposits or decent yielding bonds because those yields have just got so low. So over the longer term, and by longer term, I'm thinking next five to 10 years, what we should actually see is this is a helpful adjustment for conservative funds because we'll be able to buy new bonds uh, as bonds mature uh, with higher coupons or higher higher yields. Um, and like you say, if they're good quality investment bonds um, that, that haven't defaulted or anything like that, we will get the money back as those bonds uh, mature. Uh, but if you, we have to value our portfolios every single day, uh, even though we don't sell them every single day, we still have to value what would it be worth if we were to sell it so that we can put appropriate values on people withdrawing and people investing in a, in a fund. And that mark-to-market that we talk about is, is what causes these losses rather than defaults. So uh, it's one of those times where it's, uh, it's, it's a bit tricky to understand exactly what's going on. Uh, and the simplest thing to do is to think, right, this is why we talk so much about what's your time frame, so you can deal with the sort of volatility you see when these interest rate adjustments are occurring. I guess let's go to that that third point you mentioned, Louis, and then come back to what what are you doing about it as such? Like, 
Who wants to call a bottom right now on the spot? How much worse can it get, and will it get better? I mean, the only the only thing I'd open with would be at some point the value on the table is too good to pass up, whether it's fixed income, equities. Just as trees don't grow to the sky, they also don't go back into the ground. They don't go to zero. So, you know, whether Louis or TTB, in terms of your experience, is it, it's, it's impossible to call a bottom, but it's very easy to say it will get better. Have you got any thoughts on that? Very, very much the focus is if you're holding quality, Microsoft, some of the larger companies that we have in the portfolio, some quality names in New Zealand, they, they will come back. When? Well, I, I can't give a specific, but as you, as you see in history, you know, I'm, I'm a bit more mature than most people on this podcast, we see companies coming back. We're looking at the structure, the making profits, have they got valuable goods to, to sell, they will come back. Um, uncertainty and volatility is part of investing. Unfortunately, clients haven't seen that for a very long period of time. So people do get unnerved. Nobody likes losing money. Um, I know we talk about the bonds and how they're priced, but people see their investments gone down. Uh, they're still holding quality goods, so they will come back. Um, when there's good, usually what you find is when there's good news and in, inflation is under control, markets pick back up again. That's that's been what history has has shown. So yeah, difficult to say when, but fundamentals are still there. CTB. Yeah, I, I think um, no one's uh, really good at picking bottoms is true. The only thing I've ever seen that um, was a real um, thing that made me prick my ears up uh, and go, wow, I wonder if this is a bottom, is when, when we see real spikes in selling. Widespread panic like we did in late March um, 2020. The, Capitulation the yeah, the the heaviest days of selling in late March actually corresponded with the with the bottom and the turning point when there was massive capitulation, and we haven't seen that sort of uh, panic um, or or massive spike. Um, but volatility has definitely picked up over has definitely picked up over recent weeks, and um, that to me is a bit of a, a bit of a signal. Um, and and the other thing I always remember is. The clouds never always clear. It's always mm. quite surprising to look back over a period, and I think about this when we came out of the global financial crisis, and and likewise when we came out of um, the worst period in March. It's not like in April 2020 we suddenly thought, oh, well, there's vaccines all around, and and people aren't going to be dying anymore. The pandemic got worse and worse, but there were a few signs there that governments and central banks were just going to do whatever it took to support economies, shut down borders, massive expenditure, slashing central bank rates. And at, at, at that point, you had to think, gee, this is a lot of support that economies are getting, a lot of support that's been given to households and to companies. I think we're going to get through this. And the market turned, and it turned very, very quickly not because the pandemic was over, but there were some key signs that things were uh, getting better. To Louis's point, I think it's, it's hard when we see these interest rates going up like they are at the moment, but there will be a point where investors go, I think central banks have got this one, and I think governments have got it, and they're doing the right thing. 
And then they'll start focusing on the fact that actually underlying economic growth is is pretty robust. But it won't be because uh, every problem gets solved. And that's why I, I never get too fixated on, on where the bottom might be. But those are some things I, I, I look at. I think the other thing is for people that have got regular savings plans and a long time to invest, you have to accept that these dips are actually opportunities for you and something that you're going to endure many times between now and say when you retire in 20 years time. There'll be plenty of dips. And so questions we get like, should I stop until markets turn around? Should I stop my contributions uh, or, or should I switch? Generally, the answer is, well, no, if you're in the right fund and you're invested for a long term, keep doing exactly what you're doing. Don't try and don't try and time this thing. Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the key things that I always subscribe to it's the myriad of different sage advice I've received over the years is, you know, the markets will turn before you're ready. Um, they're forward looking and, you know, they, they price in a lot of stuff before it's happened. So the market is a summation of everyone's thoughts. Prices will reflect that well before the actual kind of, you know, the, the news is, is released as such. So into that last point, Louis, in terms of what you're being asked, you know, what changes are you making? Um, what are you doing about it? You know, on the 5th of April, we produced a blog. It's a really good summary of those changes we're making in, in collaboration with our investment partner, um, BlackRock. Um, so we can, you know, put that, send that blog out. We probably already have to customers, but it's live on the SP website now. Louis, is there anything, you know, in the NCTB, you know, we want to add there in terms of building on what the, what the blog is saying about, um, you know, the introduction of some different asset classes. Um, but before you do that, the overarching thing is these are well-diversified funds that are built for all weather, correct? Correct, yes. We've bought in, look at inflation, we've bought in gold uh, as an inflation hedge. It, it hedge has got really favorable characteristics against inflation. Um, we're not gonna react to what's going on short term. We saw that, I, I came here, started the GFC. Um, lots of people were saying, why haven't we got debentures in our portfolios? They give better returns. That was a trade-off from very, very secure assets uh, in bonds to something that we all found out were, were, were unsecured assets. So if we make the changes, it's for a longer term outcome and, and protect capital. So I spoke to a customer recently, I was reviewing their conservative portfolio and they were talking about people, should I have cryptocurrency mm. in, in my portfolio because my bonds have gone down. So we've always got to link it back to the values, why, why people invested in the first place and, and what the philosophy around quality will always come good over that period of time. But we've also bought an inflation linked bonds again to give us a hedge against um, inflation over that longer period of time. So we are making changes. We're not making wholesale changes because the fundamentals are still there. Uh, but yes, we're making changes with the out if we feel the longer term outcome is going to be positive. CTB, anything to add on that? Yeah, I think one of the things I've had is in terms of a general experience, uh, not just working at ASB, but uh, for other funds management businesses over the over the years, is, is people are always surprised that we don't make bigger changes. And we don't make changes, you know, when there's things that are obvious, like interest rates that are rising at the moment. So why don't you get out of bonds altogether while this is going on and, and then get back into them later on? And the reality is that fund managers just don't do that. This is why we spend so much time saying, are you a five-year investor, a 10-year investor, or a 20-year investor? Because simply, 
we don't have the perfect foresight to go, this asset class is going to be lousy for the next six months, so let's get completely out of it. But on this day, it's going to be good, so let's get back into it then. Markets just don't work like that. They're diversified assets that are designed to complement each other over over the long, long time. And and so the changes that we make are often quite subtle. Like we talk about uh, adding um, commodities into a... Um, into a fund at the uh, at, with a slight reduction in bonds, for example. We're not talking about getting rid of 70% of bonds and putting in gold instead. You're talking about a few percentage of bonds. And, uh, and even when we're altering the asset mix between shares and the bonds, they're quite small and subtle changes that we're taking with a long-term view. If we were changing it every month, it would imply that we got something wrong every month as well. And, and markets don't work like that. So I think... Um, you know, this is why, it's, although it's boring and it sounds like a bit of a cliche, we've got to focus on the long term and, and choose assets that we know have got a proven history of working together over the long term. Um, the one thing that is different this time, if we think about the last 30 or 40 years, essentially we've had falling inflation over that entire time since the 80s. And on the whole, falling interest rates. Listeners that had a mortgage back in uh, back in the 80s will be going, well, I paid 20% or thereabouts, so why are these people worried when mortgage rates are only um, uh, 5% and there's still a 4% are, are available? And so, uh, but, but it is a turning point on inflation. Uh, it's the first time in a long time that inflation's got this high, and it's the first time in a long time that central banks have had to quite aggressively raise interest rates. And so that's challenging for investors to deal with, but it doesn't change the fundamentals of what we're trying to do to construct portfolios uh, that will stand the test of time over the next 5, 10, 20 years. Let's go to our final quick segment in terms of, you know, we've, we've talked about what's on clients' minds. What are some things to remember during periods like this, which we know keep coming round, right? We just can't avoid them. This is what Markets do. Human beings get over exuberant, and then they then they get a little bit too despondent. Um, that's what powers markets, as well as underlying earnings and things like that, um, and economic reasons. But CTB, maybe first, you know, in terms of key things that you keep top of mind during um, periods like this, that maybe our listeners can can hear hear you talk on, and then take and apply to their own investment mindset. Yeah, I think that time frame thing's important and, um, you know, the ramifications of making major changes and particularly people that go, I'm just going to switch to cash. We've talked about how that can feel good in the short term, but you've then got the very hard decision of, well, what what do I do now? Um, are you going to be happy with term deposit rates going forward at a time when inflation's uh, quite high or when are you going to get back in? So um, we really try and uh, get people to focus on their goals and timeframes at, at times like, like this, even though it's uncomfortable for us all. So I think that's the main thing to remember is that there's, there's big ramifications of making changes if your goals haven't changed and you've still got a long time to run in your investment uh, time horizon. One of my favourite investment fanboy follows, Howard Marks from Oak Tree. I think one of the things he always says is, you know, that question you raised about do I, you know, going to cash or not, by doing that you introduce two potentially wrong decisions, not only on when to move to cash, but also when to get back in. The average investor is probably not going to be out of time in the market. So I always remember that in terms of what he said about thinking you can go in and out the market. Um, Louis, I guess any key things that have got you through periods like this in the past? Yeah. Um, I started in the industry before Twitter and social media. Um, <laughs> I think the news has a massive part to play. Um, 
my sort of guidance and, and words would be be informed, not influenced by the news. When the market falls, suddenly the front pages of the business papers are full of red blood blasts. Doesn't help your stress or anxiety reading words like, like that over that period of time. Uh, they can be informative and beneficial, but shouldn't be the driving force um, of your decision. A well laid out plan with your goals and objectives linked to your risk tolerance will be your roadmap for, for the future. Um, and, and it puts market declines into perspective. And if you want more, if you want more value than the press and bringing it alive in your own personal situation, rely on a, a professional a valued advisor who, who will link that into your, your personal, personal goals. So yeah, absolutely stay the path, have a roadmap, have a plan and, and stick to that over that period of time. One of the dominant things that we've seen in the press, just an example, has been Ukraine. It's not Ukraine that's driving the markets at the, mo at, at the moment, really. It, it, it's the, the bigger deal is, is rising inflation. So it can distort what's happening out there. So just be careful. Don't look every day if you, if you can help it. We, we like transparency here at ASB, but maybe go in a little less and, and look at the values um, over that period of time. So guess, yeah, that's what's yeah. got me through, Nigel. Yeah, I guess it's to your to your point. Don't feel like you have to operate in a vacuum, right? You know, it's not you just you and your balance page and the Herald front page. If you have the need to talk to someone, an advisor is critical. So whether that's someone like yourself or for yeah. any of our KiwiSaver customers, you know, the KiwiSaver specialists who are available, you know, you'd encourage people just to reach out, right? Oh, absolutely. You would know your personal situation in, in that degree. So it would would. Mm encourage people to do that absolutely yeah and in terms of final final reflections or thoughts you know ctb um you know what's the next, next big milestone or event you're keeping your eyes on as such you know in the coming weeks there's a few and, and i think uh, louis summed it up there a lot of uh, people um sort of think is my portfolio down because of ukraine i think he's rightly pointed out that the, the share markets are more broadly down uh, and bond markets are down because of inflation and interest rate adjustments rather than Ukraine. But but I'll definitely be watching that because it's undoubtedly um, and a really important event for the world um, and horrific at a humanitarian level. And it is impacting people's sense of confidence in the outlook. So uh, that's something that I'll be watching. But probably the most important thing is these interest rate adjustments, just how fast they come through and what that does to, to various markets and investments uh, and confidence. And, and likewise, do we start to see signs that the economies are slowing enough and inflation pressures are, are reducing enough so that we don't have to go back to even higher levels of interest rates than what's currently being forecast. So, yeah, I'll be a bit boring and say I'll be doing a lot of uh, reading about central banks over the next month or two. I wouldn't expect anything less, my friend. That's why we. That's why we love you. And see, and Louis, you know, any apart from what you've already, you know, provided, any other sage um, pearls of wisdom or anything you'd leave the listeners with in terms of these periods like this? Yeah, keep your eyes on the road ahead, and, and what's coming rather than what's impacted on asset prices in the past. It's good advice when you're driving, and it's great advice when you're investing. So we absolutely recommend that investors stay focused on their longer-term objectives. Uh, not not on previous returns over that period of time. And seek advice. Seek advice is, is where we should be. Um, your goals should shape your decisions. That That's really what it should be, not, not markets. So that's my bit of sage advice, Mr Grant. 
Well, thank you both. Um, it's been a pleasure. I mean, I loved hosting this first podcast. Hopefully there's many more down the road. And speaking of that, we've got, you know, we'll have a number of interesting and exciting editions coming out down the road as well in terms of different topics. As always, if you want other, uh, like Louis has shared today, if there's other questions that are on your mind, you know, share that with your wealth manager or uh, in terms of our, you know, podcast at asb.co.nz, we can curate and build topics like this to help you navigate periods like this. But apart from that, it's thanks from us and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the ASB Investment Podcast. If you have any thoughts on today's episode, or if there's anything you'd like us to discuss on a future show, get in touch at podcasts at asb.co.nz. If you made it through the podcast and you're still listening, here comes the fine print. Interests in ASB KiwiSaver Scheme and ASB Investment Funds are issued by ASB Group Investments Limited, a wholly owned subsidiary of ASB Bank Limited. For more information, see the scheme's product disclosure statement available from ASB's website.